Welcome, friends, to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. I am Matt here back with you, and I'm really excited for our guest today, uh, Dr. Stephen Poliakis, who really helped me pronounce that name uh, <laughs> and allowed me to call him Dr. Steve uh, from now on. So I'm really excited, uh, Dr. Steve, to have you as a guest to explore yeah. a little bit. Like, I, I got to get a little bit into your story with your introduction because it's just so fascinating, your experience. Um, and then really uh, looking at how you've integrated um, HRV, if I if I uh, am getting a good gist of you, both into your chiropractic care, but also a, really a holistic approach right. uh, to wellness. It seems like your work yeah. in your clinic really spanned uh, a, a really cool depth. So yeah. I'm really excited to explore this all with you, but uh, I'd love for you to introduce yourself uh, to our audience. Yeah, great. Matt, thank you so much for having me on. It's such an honor to be here with you guys in the in the HRV community. So, you know, I was just wondering, how did I get here professionally? <laughs> and I guess it goes back to, um, I got into chiropractic as a kid. I had radical severe sinus infections. And the worst one, I was hospitalized uh, on IV antibiotics for a few mm -hmm. days. I was 15 at the time. And uh, our EENT, Dr. Bolger, told my mom, you know, can't explain why this keeps happening. And he said, seek out something alternative, because all I'm going to be able to do at this point is just throw antibiotics and treating symptoms. So my mom wow. had encountered chiropractic. And, you know, these guys will sometimes make some pretty bold claims. So she took me to a chiropractor as a 15 year old, scared the crap out of me, <laughs> you know, as he was adjusting my neck. But I got comfortable with it. And after uh, a number of sessions, you know, um, well, the doctor had determined that the curvature in my neck was reversed the other way. And I just I wasn't draining properly. Yeah. So it was just a pure mechanical issue. And this is probably in Dr. Dave Hopper's wheelhouse too, yeah. what I was dealing with. Right. So um, anyway, the short of it is, and I'll never forget a few sessions in a chiropractic because I didn't have a lot of pain in my neck. I'm like, huh, I just feel different. I feel really good. And I couldn't really articulate that further, what I was feeling as a 15-year-old. Flash forward, I ended up seeking this out as a profession because it had helped me tremendously. And um, my first um, clinical experience when I was still in school was with the Salvation Army in Chicago at the Displains Clinic in their mm -hmm. drug and alcohol treatment center. And uh, chiropractic interns were functioning as... Um, kind of a initial gatekeepers, the guys coming in the program. So we would do blood work. We'd put them on nutritional supplementation, chiropractic adjustments. And as these guys' bodies are completely shot, just helping them kind of restore. And it was such an honor, you know, just looking at the humanity of these people struggling with addiction and what a privilege it was to be there with these people as they're truly on their bottom, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, so these guys are coming out of prison or off the streets or whatnot and just, how beautiful that was and how that impacted me just as a practitioner. I mean, I, I look forward to that every day just to be with these guys. Um, and that also harkened back to something I'd learned in school with a, a teacher. That what's the number one reason people will call the chiropractor and people raising their hand, oh, it's because they're in pain. He says, no, it's, it's because they're frightened that fear is usually the primary motivator why someone will call and go to the doctor, whatever the condition, because yeah. you're becoming po powerless over this thing. It's bigger than you. Um, and that that actually relates to um, so um, got married in chiropractic school and my wife had it on her heart that, oh, we should volunteer overseas and do some some medical missions work. And so my first year in clinical practice after chiropractic school was in post-war Bosnia-Herzegovina. And uh, we spent a year 
Um, we worked in an orphanage. I thought I'd be doing more pediatric work. I ended up doing more geriatric work uh, because there was so much humanitarian aid dumped out on the kids, on the orphans. But the elder orphans, there was a there was a major issue there. And so kind of the common thread with um, being at the Salvation Army Clinic and then being overseas in Bosnia-Herzegovina, I really kind of was able to visualize my professional goal of beyond just treating pain and functionality, you know, mechanically, the bigger issue, you know, we're tending to human suffering. We're dealing with people, you know, and that's, um, you know, that's the elephant in the room with, 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 uh, with medicine is that you're in Western medicine, we've compartmentalized the human being into these little segments and, you know, just a struggle to try to do whatever I can to see kind of the big picture within my limited capabilities as a chiropractor, you know, and I'm a huge fan of Western medicine. Don't get me wrong. Um, uh, there's a time and a place so for everything. I, I, could, I could chime in and I'm, 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 I wonder, yeah. we'll, pick, we'll pick up from here, but I just have to ask because uh, as the, the audience know, my, my background being in mental health and I, I came to heart rate variability through, you know, trauma work. Uh, right. We had a major both, both the impact of trauma, but more importantly, hopefully the the journey to post-traumatic growth with folks. I, I'm interested because I've never seen, and I do a lot of work in homelessness. Um, I, I just got to make, and my audience will also know this really, if this podcast is for me to fulfill my own curiosity more than anything else. But I, I love to hear because I, I rarely see a place like uh, Salvation Army where a chiropractor is even available to folks right. like that's you you know i maybe and and we've done a little bit better with the affordable care act you know right. getting uh, you know traditional health care to folks but right. i'd love to hear just a little bit about your experience as a chiropractor and as uh one of the initial contacts for people uh coming into the salvation army because i've, I've yeah. never seen that model in decades of, of my work yeah, it was it was pretty incredible. So, um, and I strictly dealt with men. So the the the, the men and women are separate in the Salvation Army. Um, so men who would enter the program, their first day would have a physical. When you get you know the history on what their drug use or alcohol use was, um, we would do HIV testing, um, and it's, uh, the nutritional company Standard Process uh, out of Wisconsin. Mm. We had access to their whole product line. Um, and so it was, it was really just how to say this, the, the natural first concept that Salvation Army was applying there. I mean, we, def we were definitely would refer guys out that needed to go, uh, to some cases they needed to go to the ER. Some yeah. of them were beyond, they were clearly they needed to follow up with, with an MD. And so we had those referrals in that system in place, but, uh, screening those people out. Um, it, the, and most of the population was incredibly open to that. You know, they're trying to get yeah. their lives back together, proper diet, proper hydration, proper exercise, or, or not even proper, just get some diet yeah. and exercise and some hydration and, you know, change, change your lifestyle. So, um, the program is still ongoing and it was set up through the national university of health science where I went to school, formerly the national college of chiropractic. So, um, yeah, so certainly back to, to HRV and why I'm, I'm super excited about having this as a tool in the clinic. Um, I do acupuncture as well. So I'm an acupuncturist as well as a chiropractor. So 
not every patient is a chiropractic patient with me. Not every patient is an acupuncture patient. Most people are getting some version of an integration or a layering of the of the two um, of the two paradigms, and that's that's kind of cool too. When a patient's coming in, that's you know when they've kind of fallen through the cracks of the medical system or things even clinically on orthopedic exam or you know a test, it makes no sense why they're complaining of what they're complaining. Well, let's layer a different model on top and you know a different strategy. So. I've been telling patients since the word go that chiropractic and acupuncture is going to help their nervous system self-regulate. Yeah. Right. And when I learned through, uh, actually Dr. David Hopper, optimal HRV, um, gave a presentation through the Illinois chiropractic society. When I saw that talk come up, I, I missed it. I'm like, Oh man. So I eventually got on the, uh, a recording of the call and, my, my head just exploded because um, to be able to take a reading on somebody pre-treatment, you know, we get their HRV and again, a treatment, uh, a reading post-treatment and to see that change for me, that's a, that's a huge game changer. And I run into a, a, a situation from time to time with patients where let's say they're coming in the door and they're rating their pain maybe a five out of six out of 10 walking in the door, right? We do the treatment and they're done. They're getting them off the table. So how are you feeling? Oh, great doc. I feel fantastic. Really? Okay. Well, what's your pain number? Four. What? Your pain dropped down one, maybe two points at best. And you're telling me you feel fantastic. Yeah, I feel great. So now I, now I can understand. Now we can quantify that a little bit. Yeah. Now we, you know, um, it's also a great tool, you know, patients for whom I'm pushing in, in treatment, just like when you, you're, you're exercising intensely and your, your HRV is going to drop, you'll see that drop because you push yourself hard you know, and then you see your numbers bump up later. Same thing in the practice is it, it's a tool that uh, can help me kind of gauge, you know, where I should be going with the patient clinically and maybe pushing too much or, or is this, are we dialing in? So I'm still on the learning curve. I've only been doing uh, HRV in, in the clinic, uh, going on six weeks, um, little by little, but thus far it is, um, it is a game changer. And I, and I'm putting the brakes on cause the temptation is to say, I may not treat you if I don't have baseline data on you, on your HRV yet for mm -hmm. a few weeks. Right. Um, cause one reading by itself is meaningless until we have that. We start to see those trends and, 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 and such, but, um, it's kind of funny how I got into HRV. I um, circling back to treatment, you, treating human suffering. Um, I encountered the work of uh, it was a Canadian public television did a documentary called Laughology, mm. and it was really fascinating. It's sort of the neurophysiology of laughter, and one of the takeaways was um, and I, I, the name of the researchers out of Berkeley uh, escapes me. Um, Albert Nuremberg is the is the gentleman who who put together this program. He was he was an investigative journalist, and the short of it was of the documentary is that though laughter is, uh, I'm sorry, humor is cultural, laughter is universal, mm -hmm. and they talk a little bit bit about when um, people are in a group and they're laughing, in a sense our brains are kind of syncing like on the same Wi-Fi, 
And they talk about the, kind of the cultural component to that. But then the neurophysiology that's happening with laughter, you're getting the exact opposite hormonal cascade of stress. You know, you're getting vasodilation in the immune system. So I thought that was really interesting. And I observed that clinically, like when I'm treating a, a patient, we end up using, I've over the years have developed using a lot of humor in practice, a lot of laughter. Um, in the old Reader's Digest, they would have laughter, the best medicine. You know, I grew <laughs> up re- reading with that. And um, it, my clinic had just kind of organically, you know, integrated that. And I try to have a patient, you know, when we're doing an, an, a patient encounter, particularly if I'm doing something that's painful, dry needling, or if I'm stripping out a muscle and they're hurting, you know, ask them if they've heard any go jokes lately or crack a bad dad joke just to kind of diffuse the the the, the mood a little bit. But um, that that understanding of the role of laughter um, tipped me off also to the work of um, Dr. Stephen Porges and the polybagel theory. And that was uh, a huge game changer professionally as well. And so the, um, how the role of the vagus nerve, you know, the social vagus is helping balance out autonomics, you know, parasympathetic, sympathetic. And I, I do a lot of acupuncture in the ear. I've always done yeah. a lot of ear points and that's heavy vagus stimulation. And so, um, Again, what learning with HRV, we can kind of start to peek, peek behind the curtain a little bit and see what their vagus is doing and how, and not just sympathetics or their parasympathetics, but you know, how the whole system is bouncing back or lack thereof. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I, I would mean, love to it, explore because to, to me as a, as a lay person outside, uh, uh, your, your areas of expertise, I, 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 in many ways see acupuncture and chiropractic care as very different. Uh, and again, forgive my ignorance uh, of your expertise, but almost soft tissue work versus structural, I don't know, you're, you hear chiropractic care, at least in my experience, in a way that right. acupuncture, right. I, I imagine if you hear any sounds like you do when you're uh, adjusting somebody in acupuncture, you've done something uh, very wrong. So right, but, right. But really looking at how like the polyvagal theory like in kind of crosses over those two very different uh, uh, sort of approaches to health and wellness. Right, right. And in, in many of us coming from diverse disciplines, we have our hands in the same cookie jar, which is really, you know, not to say that we're doing the same work, but we're, you know, we're dancing around the same elephant, so to speak. Um, so, in Illinois, in the state of Illinois, the chiropractic scope of practice is the diagnosis and treatment of human ailments without prescription drugs or surgery. So first off, I've got a pretty broad scope of practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, that intersectionality of polyvagal and acupuncture um, and, and chiropractic, well, Help me out here. Dial in the question a little bit better because I'm I'm losing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't know where to go on answering that because that, yeah, that's so, uh, so really that's like broad. interested in obviously. Well, at least I won't say obviously, but I'm I'm assuming that in many ways both the the your chiropractic care and your acupuncture that there's probably some level of what you're trying to do with the autonomic nervous system that crosses over both. So I guess I'm looking for, if you think about the Venn diagram of where both acupuncture on one hand 
um, and uh, a chiropractic care, both sort of I- impacting improving autonomic functioning. And yeah, I okay. just like explore yeah. how, yeah. how yeah. those two overlap uh, from that polyvagal perspective. Okay, so um, let's just talk about the crossover. The, um, for example, spinal manipulation of the Atlas C1. Um, there's research that was done on the, uh, the University of Chicago that it would drop blood pressure. Mm. Um, same thing you know, temporarily, right? Um, doing manipulation of the thoracic spine. You can adjust somebody uh, to get their sympathetics to fire. You you can and you can also adjust somebody to. Um, and depending where you're going to, so structurally, if you want to spend time up in the the sacral plexus or the you know the parasympathetic plexus higher up, or the sympathetic plexus along the thoracic spine, um, depending upon what you're doing with what intensity, you can you can you can get the the autonomic that you can get the sympathetics to start ripping off, or you can get the parasympathetics to engage and I guess in, you know activate some vagal break, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. And the same with acupuncture, um, depending upon the points. Well, I guess one commonality is also is the patient's laying on the table. Um, they're calmed down for 15, 20 minutes or half hour. They've been out running around, driving through traffic. Yeah. Um, that's one common, commonality for sure. Um, so you can do acupuncture points to, again, uh, activate the sympathetics. We don't do too much. Most of the time you want to put somebody in more of a parasympathetic rest and digest tissue repair healing mode Mm. right um and that's you know that's by intent so in terms of polyvagal activation um when a patient's supine and we're working points say you know doing some manual therapy on the suboccipitals or maybe some craniosacral that light touch correct me if i'm wrong there's a branch of the va- a branch of the vagus that goes into the ear, mm-hmm. um, and in the social vagus, it's also going to the eye, the facial muscle muscles, our voice, yeah. our throat, lacrimal glands. Um, but it seems that possibly light touch in the suboccipital area somehow is is by stimulating the uh, parasympathetics up there is is maybe spilling over into there i don't know but in the clinic also you know when a patient's there we're doing some laughter the patient's talking we've established the safe environment um and that's number one when a patient's coming in you know regardless and i have no idea what trauma you know your wheelhouse people walking in the door you know good history who helped get there sometimes people don't bring it up in the initial history because they're not comfortable and um but that's still present in the room you know and so um I'm doing direct stimulation of the vagus. Uh, also music. We play a lot of music in the clinic. Um, Very cool. Yeah. It, but c- certain kinds of music that are going to, um, you know, that seem to resonate with the polyvagal theory as well. So that and laughter, a lot of talking and just let, helping the patient know they're among their tribe now, you know, that this is, um, they're, they're in a safe place. So, um, so what, I don't what, know if I even answered your question. Yeah, out of curiosity, <laughs> what what's your soundtrack uh, that you that you use? I, I'd be curious uh, what music uh, you play in your office. So, um, have you heard of the Anonymous Four? So I have not. It, it's a it's a female acapella group. They have some really obscure medieval music. That's all 
female voices doing first, third, fifth, seventh harmonies, and it's just Very real cool. simple music. And they've got some other th- things. Um, do a lot of instrumental music and kidding around. This is another discussion for another day. We also will play therapeutic polka music on Fridays for 20 minutes. Because <laughs> when you listen to polka, you're forced to make a decision. This this relates. So when you listen to polka, you're either going to get a headache. Because polka is silly music. It's a one, two, three beat. It's a wall sped up quickly. It's inherently silly music. You you can't take yourself seriously when you listen to polka. So you're either going to get irritated by the polka music for 20 minutes and they'll start to act as a counter irritant. They'll get some, some form of nociceptors firing somewhere in your system. And that's going to gate the pain that brought you in the door, or you're going to get happy and join the silly party for 20 minutes with the polka music and laugh. So in either case, you've either gated the, the suffering temporarily or you've distracted them and switched them over to polyvagal happy silliness with some other people. So for at least 20 minutes, you've, you've helped them. I don't know if you're safe uh, when this goes live because you're very close to Wisconsin. And I have met some Wisconsin folks that would uh, maybe take some exception to polka not being serious music, but all. Oh, let- hey, <laughs> no, I, you know, and I would say to our Wisconsin brethren north of the cheese curtain, you know, happy music for happy people. That's there, all I'm going to say. There, there we go. Maybe a little drinking involved in my experience. Bring on the polka there, revolution. But- guy <laughs> guy love the cheese heads out there so. yeah for sure for so, sure as somebody who's new to this with your really amazing kind of story that that you've led to to get to where you're at and now really uh thinking about it sounds like at least you're thinking about how to integrate this more hrv more and more right um into your practice i just kind of as you look you know, into the future, maybe a year or so as you continue on this learning curve, what do you think the possibilities are uh, for for HRRV integration? Oh, fantastic question. So I love the clinician dashboard. So I can follow up and have continuity with people who are, you know, we've met their treatment goals, they're done with care. Um, I've, well, I've given them a tool, okay, mm-hmm. uh, to help them for self-management because that's the ultimate goal with what I'm doing clinically is resilience. We yeah. want to build resilience uh, to help them with whatever the, the trigger or the injury that brought them in the door, right? So where I envision this going is long-term is having continuity with people that I'm treating this month for whom I discharge from care to follow up with them and encourage them you know, to increasing their, as they learn the resonance frequency, they're doing their breath work, they're doing their HRV training. I want them to have I don't want them, I just want to have delivered them a clinical band-aid. I want mm-hmm. them to have a tool in their toolbox so that they can chase improved quality of life, you know, after encountering me, right? So it. that's 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 really my end game. And in my, my other motivation for bringing HRV is, man, how can I help, how can I be of greater service to people beyond, you know, what I'm doing, chiropractic acupuncture, mm-hmm. the elephant in the room is the stress that's everybody's under the, the relationships, the, you know, those things, your lifestyle, you're, are you drinking your water? Are you, you know, having a bender every weekend and wondering why you're on, you know, why your HRV numbers have tanked, right? right. So there's, um, there's incredible applicability that, you know, if my intent is really to help somebody, it's beyond just helping with their pain, yeah. you know, so that's where I envision this going and, um, and uh, increasing patient satisfaction. I've got chronic pain patients already that I've given them a tool and that they, 
you know, they're doing their, their breath work, their, you know, their, their resonance frequency training and the stress and anxiety that the suffering and the pain itself is causing. This is one way to help, help mitigate that and help begin to take little, you know, micro steps day by day to, you know, they're setting a goal and let's, let's help you get there, you know? Um, yeah. So there's so many applications for this clinically. Um, Excellent. So this is the part of the show where Matt just asks questions that Matt's curious about, which may may go way off the track, but but I always seem to talk to folks like you have have uh, just that spark kind of my interest. And one of those is like, you know, and, and again, I'm 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 stepping out of my uh, comfort level here, so uh, you can just say, Matt, you are way in left field. All uh, right, basically, your question makes no sense, but. I've been really fascinated. And, and so my assumption is that uh, acupuncture is based on uh, traditional Chinese medicine, which I think I'm pretty yes. safe. While there's been a lot of research to expand on that, um, yes. c- coming out of that, really, I, I don't know how many thousands of years of tradition uh that that uh you know i'm i'm somewhat familiar with enough to be dangerous but mm-hmm. i always find which i i believe with the chinese medicine all the channels and the chi and those sort of things that that i find really fascinating while it's not a one-to-one correlation by any stretch that there seems to be so much intertwined with that that the wandering of the vagus nerve all over the body and right. some of the stuff that we're seeing with uh, Chinese medicine dating back thousands of years. And I just kind of wonder, as you start to, you know, get expertise, building expertise on polyvagal theory, the vagus nerve, uh, do, do you, as you look at those chi maps and Chinese uh, traditional medicine, do, do you see kind of the, the traditional and the modern coming together in any way that kind of resonates with you? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so traditional Chinese medicine and Western medicine coming out of the empirical model out of Western Europe, basically going back then to the, the Middle East. Um, it's interesting. They're radically different. It's a radically different worldview. Yeah. Right. Um, there, yeah, there's some intersectionality and there's some, some congruences there. Um, the most obvious congruence is the neurovascular bundle. Mm. Um, if you look at the, um, embryologically, oh, brain, come on, brain, endoderm, mesoderm, I forget which of the derms it is. That's the cell line. Then the neurovascular bundle comes out of interestingly, um, the channels, meridians, whatever you want to call it, tend to correlate and overlap with that. Not perfectly, not one to one, but generally there's there's some congruency there. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that you can measure uh, changes in voltage potential over acupuncture points, that's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, one, one of my acupuncture teachers uh, in, 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 shame on me for not doing a deep dive pursuing this but it was really interesting that basically we're closed biological circuit and you know was explaining kind of how the closed biological circuit and i'm not an electrical engineer and this is you know this is 
this is beyond me, but yeah, it, it, parts of it do make sense that, um, you know, we're living on a giant magnet core planet earth. We're living on a ball of iron in the middle and kidney one. Um, when that that's on the bottom of your foot, when during your gait cycle, as interestingly as your body is powering up for the gait cycle through the kinetic chain that propel you during gait, that's also kidney one, which, um, depending upon your, your style of acupuncture, that's, you know, where you want to set the starting clock for the circulation of the, of the chi through the meridian, the channels there. Um, I'm a Westerner. I don't talk a lot about yin and yang and chi in practice, though, um, we'll still evaluate that, but, you know, I don't want to confuse my patients and I want to help them have as much buy-in as possible, as opposed to give them, giving them a diagnosis of, well, you have too much wind in your liver. Yeah. What? Well, we don't literally mean wind and we don't literally mean your liver. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you know, what's cool, uh, geeking out on that a little bit is, you know, when I was in school 20 something years ago, I was taught that acupuncture originated in China. They've since discovered archaeological evidence of acupuncture in India predating the Chinese. Oh, really? And after that, they discovered acupuncture in uh, Egypt that predates the Indians. So this has been around for a lot longer. And interestingly, within the indigenous peoples in North America, you know, the Dakota people, um, when a woman is in labor and part of their traditional system, they will stimulate um, in the little toe, a point right here, which, you know, you'll sometimes stimulate to um, get uterine contractions going for a woman who, huh. who's maybe late term. So this has been around for a long time. And maybe anecdotally, it's as simple as, oh, I have headache, put deer antler here, headache, go away. Who knows? <laughs> you know, but it's, it's really, it's really amazing. Um, and um, even uh, Dr. BJ Palmer, the developer of chiropractic, he spent some significant time in China. And um, develop some of his concepts with chiropractic that were influenced out of traditional Chinese medicine. So there is, there's definitely crossover, right? Um, but yeah, it's really, it's, it's, it's just remarkable. The human body is such an, an incredible, you know, the human system is such an incredible system. It's, you know, it's endless, right? Yeah. Um, Fascinating. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I never knew that it, I mean, it kind of makes sense that it predated, I, I guess, you know, my study of Chinese history, does anything predate Chinese history in a way that right. history got passed on through, Right. I, I'm a very diverse when we think of China today, but, but just right. such that, that connection uh, yeah. long into history and prehistory yeah. with that. So I know India has similar long, long histories right. and culture as well. Right. So very fascinating. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. That, that history. And we usually find things that work and, you know, that that's where I'm like, this is really exciting to me because I think it, it it's that connection where, you know, you know, things we might have considered, you know, I, I don't love complementary medicine. Like I, I think it mm -hmm. undervalues some of the stuff that we're right. really trying to do with it. But, you know, it's like the, really how these pieces integrate together. And the fact that heart rate variability can give us, you know, feedback on really what is working and ask new questions what is a pre and post acupuncture reading right. for folks, uh, chiropractic right. care for folks, or just in Western medicine, if I got a prescription medication, 
to help me be healthier? Is it is it working? What's it doing to the autonomic nervous system? And it's those questions that to until the last couple of years when we could put this on everybody for an affordable price without having right. a huge computer in your bedroom uh, to hook up to an right. EKG machine, we couldn't really ask in the way uh, we're, we're asking now. So I, I'm really excited to see uh, where you'll go. Yeah, with as well. same same here. This is a, such a such an empowering tool, you know, for, for myself as a clinician and, and, the, and patients too. I'm excited to see how it patients who follow up with their um, their HRV training long term, how that's going to affect quality of life and um, not just not just pain and not just stress because um, that's going to have, you know, getting in, in better balanced out of autonomic function. That's all of your abdominal organs. That's your, that's everything, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think, I think what you guys are doing with optimal HRV is, is just incredible. And I think you got in kudos to you guys for what you're doing. You're, you're impacting lives. Thank you. Well, that, that is huge. Thank you for that. And I get working with folks like you, cause I mean, that that is why I started. I honestly, when I started out this journey, I never thought I'd be having these sort of conversations. So it's it's so fun to to work with with folks like you. And, you know, from the mental health perspective, and it sounds like you can kind of see, especially now that we got the biofeedback aspects in there and Ina Hazan's work um, mm -hmm. in there with residents frequency breathing, it's like, what do you do between sessions? And you know, we, we always like, you know, when I go to a chiro chiropractor, totally. I got stretches, I got my homework. I love my homework as a therapist. We're going right. to make your journal and uh, do right. other things, but you know, we're, mm -hmm. we're all working to help in some aspect. You could throw the mind on top of this system and other things, but we're really trying totally. to help heal and, and build resiliency in that autonomic nervous system. And I, I can't think of a better homework to give people then, you know, residence frequency breathing, just supplement everything right. else you do already in your practice. Right. Yeah. And I'm uh, really intrigued also how HRV uh, is used, you know, in within the realm of sports medicine, yeah. uh, athletic training, athletics. Um, I've become an avid runner over the past year and um, how improving your HRV is going to have some beneficial impact at a minimum, some it, it possibly dramatic impact also on your cardiovascular function when you're, you know, doing prolonged exercise. Yeah. So, um, there's so many applications for this. This is the, you know, I, I tell patients like, a, it's like another, another gauge on your dashboard. Yeah. And, um, I don't use BMI. I mean, BMI is a relevant metric in some sense. Um, BMI, you know, for doesn't make a lot of sense for somebody who's yeah. body morphology, you know. So I'm using now. I also use VO2 max as a as an indicator for patients, and because I also do a, a fair amount of anti aging. I have a vested interest in this. I have five <laughs> kids. So I want to be around. I want to be around to go running with my grandkids. Um, but when we talk about longevity, uh, I think tracking your HRV. There are so many applications. Um, because HRV can be used so much for your your lifestyle, healthy yeah. lifestyle or lack thereof, that you know if you if you track your VO2 max for your cardiovascular function and say set a goal of I want to maintain my VO2 max where it's at or I want to bump it up one or two points this year even though I'm 53, whatever set a goal. And if you're going to do that, that means you're building into your lifestyle 
um, cardiovascular exercise. You're going to be doing, you know, the right kind of cardio where you're going to be, you know, it's good for cognitive, yeah. cognitive function, slow and decline, anti-aging, um, you know, working in, you know, you, you can use HRV, you know, theoretically to gauge how your intermittent fasting is going that, Absolutely. you know, how about that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and yeah. it's, uh, you know, as having really been on this now for, you know, boy, three years every day, probably four years, even before I started optimal, it's like you, you get a really that fine tune. So it's like, does intermittent fasting work for Dr. Steve? Uh, does it work for Matt? Right. Because we're going to have different, right. maybe you're a 16 and I'm a 14, you know, exactly. Right. Maybe I'm a, I'm a long hiker, walker, you're a runner and, you know, Mm -hmm. I probably for both of us, you know, more than a couple drinks, probably, uh, you know, I've, I've pretty much given up alcohol be, because right. of not because I've had a problem with it, but, but you see what it does to you. Yeah, it's like, you geez. see what it does. And it's like, is it worth, <laughs> is it worth it? it? <laughs> and, and my answer was no. And not I, so much, you know, occasionally sure, but it's, it's rare yeah. far between because I know what, the next morning is going to look like. And right. I'm fortunate enough to really look forward to what I'm doing, whether it's work or on the weekends, the next morning. And it's just like those things, you know, sleep quality, all those things. Yeah. It's, it's a great metric that doesn't necessarily will pull out and say this exactly does that. But boy, once you do it enough and then you make those tweaks, it really right. helps you see uh, the power of that in your own life, which I, I think is just like, such a fascinating thing uh personally and i think about those to kind of come for full circle to those uh uh folks you were working with at the salvation army with all that trauma and addiction oh, homelessness man. like you yeah. talk about the nervous systems that are so resilient in one way because right. they're they're surviving stress that i know personally their stress on a typical Monday is going to probably outweigh any stress or trauma I've ever experienced in my life. And yet they wake up every day and face life yet, you right. know, what's that wear and tear. And my, right. my hope is that we can start to document when we do get them help. What does that right. do to heart rate variability? How can we show that a program like yours actually help to heal all that damage done by the nervous system right where we have some real data where we can advocate uh, a program yeah. like that nationally or internationally because I, I i love you know that piece and but collecting data on it has always been difficult in our field because of the scaling stuff right. that he's like yeah i feel fat fantastic you drop my pain by one point like yeah Right. Yeah, let, let's let now we got some more quantifiable objective data to really see, which is to me so exciting of where we're going in the future. Yeah, I I, I see this as a um is 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 super tool to help accelerate a person's healing. If you know the right things to do, the body's got it built into it, you know, natural healing mechanisms, you know, and if we can just help read, you know, read our own dashboard a little bit better, so we know, you know where to go. Right. Awesome. So, well, I'm am so excited to take this journey with you. It's, it's, yeah, it's such a, so great. And, yeah. Thank you. Um, for as, as you go along your journey, I would love to have you back and uh, really uh, learn more along the way, because again, I think, you know, it's interesting when, you know, being in uh, obsessing about heart rate variability really for the last five or six years, it's sort of the water I swim in, but I, as you know, 
even chiropractors who probably maybe the leading as far as professionals outside biofeedback folks that are aware at least of heart rate variability, you quickly become a pioneer in this by, by adapting in the way you do. So I'm excited to learn from you, your experience, in, and it's it's just great to take this journey with you. And it's so great to be on this journey with you, man. Thank you so much. Awesome. So I'm going to put a little bit of information about you and your work in the show notes. Um, okay. Just if people, maybe we've got some Chicagoland listeners uh, that might want to reach out. Uh, just tell them a little bit about uh, your clinic and maybe give your website name. And again, we'll put all those links in the show notes. Yeah, great. So I'm in Wheaton, Illinois. It's a western suburb of Chicago, um, not too far from the DuPage County Courthouse. May you never have to have spent time there. Um, <laughs> um, our website uh, is acupuncturewheatonchiropractor.com. I also created an easier website, just injury, www.injurydc.com. A little there easier to remember. Um, yeah, we're primar primarily uh, chiropractic and acupuncture, uh, rehab-based chiropractic, so heavy into the exercises and stretches in clinic and at home as well, do a fair amount of dry needling, and uh, we have red light therapy here as well, and adaptive contrast uh, uh, exercise with oxygen training as well for that's a whole other can of worms there. So, yep, yeah, if you're in the Chicago area, love to love to hook up. Sounds good. And again, we'll put those links in, in the show notes so everybody has them. But Dr. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Great honor to have you. Oh, thank you so much. This is so much fun. Yeah, such an honor to be here. This is, awesome. this is great. Well, well, we'll get you back soon to learn uh, how your journey progresses. Sounds great. Okay. Thanks, thanks everybody. Man. And as always, you can find show notes, everything else at uh, OptimalHRV.com. And uh, we will see you next week.